candy-colored clown they call the Sandman Tiptoes to my room every night Just to sprinkle stardust and to whisper Go to sleep, everything is all right I close my eyes Then I drift away Welcome to session seven mm-hmm. of Fall of Delta Green 1963. We're going to put an asterisk by that and talk about that in a moment. Um, right. We have three of our four agents currently with us. We should have our fourth in just a moment. Uh, it has been a while since we have played. So the first part of this episode is going to involve kind of some recapping but we'll start with having the players who are here inter- reintroduce their agents and tell us what they're drinking this evening. And we'll start with Jesse. Okay, my agent is Jack Cooper. He is a former... Um, <clears throat> former member of the 7th Cavalry, um, served in Korea, and retired uh, from the military, um, found a new wife, and moved to Vietnam to be closer to his wife's new family. His new wife's family. Does that imply Uh, there was an old wife? There was not an old wife. Okay. Uh, he, uh, became involved with Delta Green when, um, someone gifted him a, uh, a Buddhist rosary that had some unnatural powers that, uh, he needed a little help dealing with. Um, but, uh, most of the time he's, uh, he's a, a family man who does some, uh, some work um just making sure that that the buddhist uh community is is heard and understood in saigon and um it's been a little difficult lately um and this uh this side job helping delta green has uh not made anything easier all right excellent what's jesse drinking tonight uh jesse is Drinking just a Coke Zero. Good man. All right. So let's go to the from the voice of the Buddhist to the person listening to those voices. Jason, you want to tell us about uh, your character, the good yeah. listener? Yep. <clears throat> she is a good listener. Uh, I'm playing 
uh, Lin Song. She is a uh, an interrogator for the Central Intelligence Office. Uh, by night, by day, she covers as a an interpreter um, for Americans and French in country as they're going about their business. Uh, and of course, she reports back on all of the translation she does to the Central Intelligence Office. Um, and most of her interrogation does revolve around uh, sussing out uh, communist agents in country, some of whom just happened to have been uh, Buddhist as of late. Um, what else about her? Um, she's uh, also kind of the duality. By day, she's a practicing Catholic to, to fit in with the um, Mandarin kind of dictates of the of the current regime. There's certain things we need to do to to stay employed, um, but by you know by by um, you know by night by um, rearing she's a you know like an, an animist of the the uh, the local Vietnamese religions. It's like a Trying to find my notes. I don't know where. Right. Or the notes. Oh, there we go. Because <clears throat> um, there's a phrase specifically I was looking for. Um, but yeah, so it's like a natural religion that she practices uh, in her private time. Excellent. Uh, and I am drinking ranch water tonight. What's what's ranch water? It's uh, a little bit of lime, uh-huh. uh, Topo Chico mineral water, and tequila. Ah, interesting. Very refreshing. What is that? So it is, would you consider it to be light? Oh, it's very light. Yeah, so it's okay. it's probably eight ounces of water to two ounces of tequila with like a, I just do, for my wife, I do like a full half ounce of lime. I just put like a a waft, how, how you put tonic in your gin, Rex. Mm-hmm. That's, that's <laughs> kind of the amount of lime juice i put in um okay. but yeah it's super refreshing the um the topo chico has some some salinity to it so it you know kind of highlights the saltiness and the tequila and it's very refreshing nice yeah, and the idea like a... is you you put two ounces uh in of tequila in the glass you put the lime juice fill it with ice and then top it with water and then as you drink it you just because it's a 12-ounce bottle of Topo Chico, so then you just fill it up. So you're really drinking like 12 ounces of water for every two ounces of tequila. Mm. Uh, and um, it, like if I were to Google ranch water later, would I find this on the internet or is this a Jason thing? Um, I, yes, you would find it. Okay. Yeah. I think nice. um, probably liquor.com is the one you want. Okay. But yeah. But that seems like that might be a nice thing to drink when it's 99 degrees with 94% humidity and right. uh, sitting outside by the pool. So yep. Nice. Excellent. Uh, so at the moment, we have one other agent here. Mark, do you want to tell us who your agent is and yeah, what you're sure. drinking? 
Yeah, I am playing Greg Lamont. He is a linguist with the uh, Office of Naval Intelligence. He uh, previously worked on the... He's been with Delta Green for a while. He worked on the last mission where he uh, suffered, let's say, a little professional embarrassment at the end of it and decided to uh, take this assignment um, in Vietnam as a way to just put some distance between him and the past, temporarily anyway. And, um, yeah, so he's um, got family back in Tampa, and he uh, suffered, if my memory serves me correctly, suffered quite a bit of uh, stability loss during their little walk in the woods before, huh? Yes. So he's kind of... uh, He's kind of on the edge, edge right now, mentally, mentally fragile at the moment. Right. So we're going to see where he ends up in this session. Okay. We and are going to find that out. And Mark is drinking uh, instant coffee and uh, nice. Pellegrino. Nice. And, water and, water. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't want, I don't want you to disabuse me. I just have this vision of like, like a old gas stove with just a little like cheap metal like like the pot you would make soup in with mm-hmm. your water and your and your <laughs> and your one spoon like mixing your instant coffee yeah. yeah so i don't don't change that vision i don't know that's, that's love, yeah that's how i, I make that my coffee <laughs> i'm not going to describe what i think you're wearing i'll just leave it with how you're making your coffee yeah and it just that's that's the mark I know and love. So yeah, I'll see, that. I look so. like Bukowski after a bender. I got my <laughs> shorts after. <laughs> nice. Excellent. And I uh, I am drinking water at this point, but uh, since I don't have an early day tomorrow, I might switch gears once once we get rolling here. Okay. Um, so an astute listener will be looking at their podcast feed saying, did he say session seven? Because I have a session five and now I've downloaded session seven. Where's session six? And that's a great question. That is a great question. We don't know where session six is. And by we, I mean I, um, because this is all my responsibility. And in prepping for this, I just didn't realize that I never process session six and gave it to Jason to post. And now I can't find the raw material for session six. It's within the realm of possibility that somewhere on my computer, it's misstored under something and I'll eventually find it. Um, But I'm going to ask Jason to, in fact, number this as session seven or label it as session seven. And Mm -hmm. this, this intro will be in here. So what we've done uh, is I've kind of reconstructed the highlights of session six. I put it in our Google Doc that we have shared with the players. Okay. And I'm actually going to walk through it a little bit um, because obviously even if the players have read the Google Doc, Anthony does not know what happened in session six. <laughs> so, um, And it's not fair to him to leave them hanging. So we're going to start with my recap of session six. The good news for listeners is that session six was not a session that had big truckloads of new characters and new information Mm -hmm. and new clues dumped in. 
that no one's ever going to remember. Session six, uh, in fact, was mostly a walk through the jungle. If you remember the end of session five, it involved Greg Lamont uh, bravely steering his the vehicle he was driving with the team into a ditch, flipping it over and graciously only injuring himself in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so the so that's where session five ended. Uh, at the beginning of session six, and this all is taking place out in Anjiang province. Uh, we remember the team had gone out there in search of Alain Blanchett. Uh, they had a uh, Jack Cooper knew that there was a particular sect of Buddhists, the Ho Huao. Uh, that were basically founded in Anjiang province, and he strongly suspected that they were the monks that uh, Elaine Blanchett had interacted with. So the team went out there to find out why Blanchett had gone there. Again, Mr. Blanchett is the subject of the agent's current search, as directed by Delta Green. Um, they had a uh, and this is session five material. Um, fantastic uh, scene with some Vietnamese special forces and a, um, a cameo appearance of an NPC from Fall of Delta Green 1961, Oliver West, a CIA field officer who is leading some Vietnamese special forces who were searching for the heart of, I'm just going to say Quang Tree, I always forget his name, our Buddhist monk who uh, incinerated or immolated himself and kind of sparked the urban Buddhist revolt earlier in 1963. Like, um, like Quang Duck? There we go. His heart. Mm-hmm. They were looking for the heart, which was odd because uh, Lin Song pretty sure that she was told that they had recovered the heart when they did the pagoda raids. So that's weird. Um, there was a conference or a standoff with some Buddhists who had a slightly different take on the role of violence in uh, resolving uh, disputes. Uh, the special forces retreated. There was a long interaction with the Buddhists. Um, somewhat frustrating that the Agents didn't get clear and direct answers to their questions. They were making their way back. They had the car crash. Terrible storm came out of nowhere, made the roads undrivable. So session six starts with them making their way through the jungle past the seven mountains. Uh, since I've been talking a lot, does anyone have a general memory or yep. having read the notes of what happened yeah. as y'all were making your way past the seven mountains in the jungle. This would be uh, a participation moment. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's when we, we, um, we were walking along the trail and we, that, um, did we, yeah, what's it saying? A, a shadow snake, right? Oh, you're jumping that, the gun. Oh, I'm jumping the gun? Okay. Lynn, what happened first before the crazy stuff happened? So all, <laughs> um, I'm not sure, but my my notes it was raining a lot. 
It was raining. Um, I so wrote the, a little map down. Right. So the first things I, were oh, the sound of gunfire. Yeah, That's there was right. a, so, a firefight yep. somewhere over there, right? Yep. So my I and I lied, Rex. I do have session six mm. notes. They were also just labeled as session five for some reason. Um, um, yeah, we heard we heard uh, we heard gunfight gunfire. I think um, my map is weird. I think from the south we were traveling west. Looked like there were six or seven South Vietnamese special forces um, firing and falling back toward us, but we kind of heard them coming for a while, and we just kind of tried to ignore the fact that there was a, a gunfight coming our way. Um, and then we Weird heard... how you do that when all you have are pistols. Yes, yeah, and right. no vehicle. Uh, and then, yeah, we heard a kind of creepy sound um, of some sort of animal or something creeping in the jungle to our north, following us as we as we were going west. Um, and then, like a pervasive sense of dread. Yeah, us. we were we were definitely being followed and tracked by something. Um, and then eventually that firefight met up with us. And yeah, that's when the the, uh, the Vietnamese, um, there were six of the original 12 that we saw in, um, in session five. And Oliver West um, was there. And we kind of consolidated our forces and continued west along the road. Um, and that just pervading sense of being tracked and being watched followed us um and i think there were maybe outposts or something kind of you know tracking you know we we put out like sentries one way or the other to to guard our march and whatever yeah the, the shadow snake um attacked the the two soldiers um my notes say oliver is shaken uh, Lynn can tell it's not human or animal, mm-hmm. um, and it attacks again, tearing open a soldier's chest. Whoa. So we got the shit kicked out of us by this mm-hmm. thing, and uh, we, no one ever really got great visuals on it, right? Because mm-hmm. it was late and probably rainy and Pouring down Pouring rain. rain. Oh, that's right, because there was, yeah, there's. In jungle canopy, mm-hmm. and we left out part of the trademark name, Flying Shadow oh, Snake. Sh- it was whipping around up in the, in the canopy, and then it would dart down and do terrible things. So, I wonder if part. Yeah, and... Um, you know, Jack Cooper and Lynn didn't seem to be completely weirded out by this, but this was a bridge too far for Willie Kane and Greg Lamont. Uh, and there was a, I, I know the outcome because it's recorded in our black book, um, which I have the black book up, by the way. I don't know if anyone's yep. got logged in or not. Excellent. Yeah. Um, 
so uh, both Willie and Greg failed stability rolls. They ended up going negative stability. And just as a reminder for both the players and listeners, in this uh, version of Delta Green, stability is your current mental state. It's what is often referred to as sanity in other games. There is something called sanity in this game. Sanity is like your permanent mental condition. And uh, so stability can kind of come and go. Now, um, it, I'll probably go into a little more detail when Ty's here. The interesting thing, rules is written, is that typically you don't really recover much stability during a mission. The, the idea really is it's your breaking point during the mission. Uh, I'm going to fudge that a little bit, a little bit, so that uh, Ty and Mark don't feel like they're carrying gimped characters for the rest of the adventure. Um, because when you go negative stability, the first tier is something called shaken, and that makes it um, hard to be effective at anything. After that comes shattered. Shattered is really not good. Um, and then if you if you move out of that tier, you go even further negative, you're basically mentally dead at that point in time. You know, you're, mm -hmm. you're just completely gone. So um, once Ty's on board, we'll talk a little more about, um, you know, kind of the fudges I'm making on that and where those, where those guys are going to be. But oh, okay. um, that's, uh, Jason, do you have any more, like, and then the session ended type notes, or is that pretty much the end of... Uh, yeah, that's all my notes. Yeah, because I think that's pretty much where we stopped. Yeah, was, I think it was bad, yeah. and we faded to black. Yeah, we faded to black. So that session was February 15th, and here we are, <laughs> almost wow. July. Um, and so, I listened today, and we had the plan, like it was going to be this, 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 yes. and then we're done. I had yeah. booked dates in advance. Everybody had signed up. And of course, life said, ha ha, uh -huh. foolish, <laughs> foolish planner. <laughs> We're not so going to keep you in COVID lockdown forever. <laughs> We're going to make people work again and cause all kinds of mayhem. So our, uh, our well-timed schedule uh, to run this thing to completion derailed. And then I got busy with some stuff and... Um, and candidly got distracted with some stuff. So anyways, here we are, end of June, coming back. So one of the things I've told the players is... Um, it's oh, Willie. Nice. Willie! Willie's in the house. Hey, hey. Gentlemen. Um, come, on, come on, Ty. So Did we, we win? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Got him on the ropes. We won through yeah. the night. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so we were just doing, we had the, a long off-air garbage time so people could speak freely. Uh, and then we started recording and we had introductions and uh, we just did a recap of session six mm -hmm. because I can't find the audio for session six. So it's currently our lost episode. I may, I may never find it. Um, so we did. Well, I mean, a little... in... In 70 years, the, the CIA will declassify it, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. 
And we were just talking about the fact that our session six session took place on February 15th, and here we are in end of June getting ready to do session seven. So uh, and that's just the point you came in. Um, yeah. So the other thing I told the players is uh, I, because of the lapse in time, I've had some different thoughts about the game. And given the lapse in time, and the fact that we don't have the recording, it would be very difficult to really pick up in media res. So I'm actually going to hit the fast forward button and move us forward in time. So... I gave the players in our Google Doc kind of a um, framework. You know, these are the, the main things that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to kind of run through those. And I've invited the players to certainly fill in details um, or, you know, vignettes from what took place in that time. And when we get done with but when I get done kind of covering that so that, again, listeners and the players are all on the same page, uh, I'll talk to Willie and Greg Lamont about their shaken status and what I'm going to do to get them back on the positive side of stability. So so the things that, that in my mind, happened uh, in between session six ending and us picking up are kind of the followings. So the things that we know are the agents and Oliver West and Sergeant High, who's the Special Forces Sergeant, um, they all survived along with at least a few of the other Special Forces guys. Um, the, the Flying Shadow Snake was uh, defeated, destroyed, driven off. Um, and it happened by Oliver West using some type of device or some type of technology or some type of technique that was unknown to the agents, never seen before, and appeared to be unnatural. And I'm actually going to let the players describe what Oliver West did, or, or if they would like to. Um, and let them make that part of the canon. You know, the, the, the takeaway is Oliver West has access to the unnatural, mm-hmm. and he, he used something that resulted in the blind shadow snake no longer being a threat. And it, if, if it kills the blind shadow snake, that's not going to harm me. I don't, I don't expect him to return in this adventure. Um, so I don't, I don't need him at any further point. Uh, so does anybody have a, a vision or a memory of what Oliver West did to make Bad Snake go away? Maybe did, it, did he cast a spell or did he use an art, like some kind of like uh, artifact? He was definitely like, holding was, something in his hand. I was, I was picturing yeah. an artifact kind of thing. Okay. So some kind of mythos artifact. Um, what could but it be? Like, something that banishes... Uh... There was something with chanting? light associated with it, maybe. Yeah. He, and yeah, he was chanting good. over it, but it wasn't Vietnamese. It wasn't English. <clears throat> it didn't even sound like Latin. I don't know what language it was. Okay. Were there any visuals yeah. with how this artifact 
uh, dealt with the flying shadow snake. Like a beam of a beam of light. Okay. Yeah, but like a light that's Im impossible to describe. Nice. Yeah, I'm good with that. Right. Can I add one one thing? Uh, he actually had a, a coating of of uh, to us it would be like graphite from a pencil, like just this thick, sticky stuff all over his hands when he was using whatever he was using. When he was done, you mean? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, perhaps uh, to aid him in in handling the the device or whatever it was. Okay. A sticky graphite substance, you mean? That was yeah. on his hands when he was using this. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like a li liquid, stoneish, or okay, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's a great thing about having an experienced Call of Cthulhu right. game master in your game. He's mm -hmm. he's got this stuff down. So. And I don't uh, know if they were in use at the time, but we would use like charcoal pads to decontaminate ourselves. When I was in, I wonder if maybe that was like he busts open this like charcoal activated charcoal pad to coat his hands in. Could be. Okay, so that is canon. That is that is how mm -hmm. we did it. So, uh, and uh, and you guys can tell me: Did it destroy the flying shadow snake? Did it just scare it off, or did it do something else? I'm seeing it went to a like a another dimension or something temporarily. Maybe yeah, it doesn't come back in, in this, you know, in this story, but it's you know, it's still out there. It's it's banished. Not who knows yeah. where what happened to it. It's just gone. I have this vision of it of it rematerializing in its alternative dimension. Yeah. Slither Slithering up to Beatrice Mikado and like curling around, it's out there running with the hounds of uh, one of those time traveling dogs in the Lovecraft. <laughs> yep, nice. All right, excellent. Uh, so the next next fact or or key framework in our interlude is that that whatever Oliver West did, it, it succeeded in in driving or or banishing this flying shadow snake. And uh, the agents and the survivors of the Special Force team managed to hump the rest of the way to the Vietnamese Special Forces base uh, without, like, whatever chase West men out of the mountains didn't follow them mm -hmm. into the jungles. And West was, was not very forthcoming about exactly who they were fighting in the mountains. Yeah, the agents remember that at one point, it clearly sounded like rifles and machine guns were being fired at uh, West's team. So your your operative assumption is some form of human, normal, you know, armed military force was engaging him and his his team. But he wasn't really volunteering very much about uh, you know, who they were or why they were fighting and what was going on. So the good news is y'all made it back to the special forces base. The bad news is that this storm just continued to rage for another four days. Um, and uh, so the net result of that was the Marine 
helicopters uh, down at Longjian were just not going to fly in that, and therefore there was no way to evac the agents. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other problem was that the Special Forces camp was now the target of repeated uh, military attack. You know, during during daylight hours, even though it was pouring down rain and overcast, and in the, in the lighter hours, it would consist of things like sniper fire and some mortar rounds and some rockets. Um, but things got bad at night. At night, there were attempts to breach the wire and enter the camp. Um, mm-hmm. And whoever was doing it did have access, again, to firearms. Um, this, this troubling things for the agents, um, there were a couple of troubling things. Number one, that sense of dread that had um, been with them in the jungle just prior to the flying shadow snake striking, it was still there. Um, and it was more intense at night. And uh, the other troubling thing is these battles would last throughout the night, but when, quote unquote, the sun came up, when it was lighter outside, there were never any bodies on the wire. Um, so the, the Number one assumption would be it's the Viet Cong. But you can't prove it was you can't (laughs) prove it was the Viet Cong. Mm -hmm. Um, And what was troubling is it it, this sense of dread was so overpowering that basically Greg Lamont and Willie Kane continued to be shaken. They really just couldn't pull it together, even though they were quote unquote safe in the uh, special forces camp. Uh, something I didn't put in the little Google Doc. Um, Greg and Willie were a little surprised. It, it was pouring down rain. Clearly, an aerial, you know, extraction was not going to happen. Um, but Greg and Willie were kind of surprised that the Arvin didn't attempt like a, a land relief. Mm-hmm. And again, just, just a distinction. In special forces in 1963, the Vietnamese special forces are not a branch of the Arvin. They are a standalone CIA-trained, CIA-funded unit that reports directly to uh, Ngo Dim Nu, the brother of the president of South Vietnam. Um, Lynn and Jack Cooper probably were not surprised by this. Would Lynn or Jack want to explain why they would not be surprised that the Arvin didn't come to the aid of the Vietnamese Special Forces? You could. There's a little bit of tension between the the two uh, the two organizations. Lynn, anything else? to add a little bit of tension? I mean, no, I guess not, no. Okay. So uh, I'll, I'll throw this historically correct tidbit in. Um, the pagoda raids that happened in August of 1963 that were highly controversial 
caused a large portion of the United States government to to basically throw up its hands with the um, um they were carried out by the Vietnamese special forces. But they in order well, just because this is how the DMs or I guess technically they're the NOs, correct, Jason? The, it's the NGO yes. actually the, yeah. Yeah. And the goes, you know, the brothers um just thought it would be brilliant or tactically wise, politically wise to have the Vietnamese Special Forces dressed as urban soldiers and attempt to blame the pagoda raids. Oh, the army's out of control. They did this, you know. Um, so Lynn and, and Jack, I'm sure that that's probably just more fuel for the fire of why the Arvin doesn't really care, care very much for the uh, Vietnamese Special Forces. Uh, so after four days, this uh, weather finally breaks, and you guys are extracted along with Oliver West and uh, Sergeant High from the Special Forces team. In fact, all the surviving Special Forces guys that were out there in the jungle are extracted with you all. The other interesting thing was while y'all were in that siege at the firebase, uh, mm -hmm. Oliver West approached each of you and kind of like did the very officious, um, you know, I'm required by law to tell you that the information and you, things you saw and heard in the jungle have the uh, highest possible security clearance. And therefore, I'm going to demand that you take an oath and swear to me that you will not divulged to anyone under any set of circumstances, the things you saw, the things you heard, or any conclusions you may have formed about what you believe you saw or heard under penalty of, you know, perjury, prosecution, and more extremes. Like, he was just on you guys about that. So my first question is, how did each of you react to that? Jack Cooper, how did you react to uh, Oliver West getting in your face and basically demanding that you make this oath of secrecy. Well, one, I don't answer to you. But two, who's going to believe me even if I tell them? You get the sense that Oliver West probably on some little accepts that, but he feels the need to get him firmer commitment from you. So he he didn't really accept that first time around. He stayed on you about it. Did you eventually tell him what he wanted to hear or uh, did you dig your heels in? I promise that I will not go to the press with this and I won't make any noise about it. How about that? And Oliver West tells you, I don't think you really get the amount of trouble you could get yourself in. I could get myself Don't in? Were, were you not with, with us in the jungle running away from that thing? How much more trouble could I be in? Well, trust me, there are more mundane things that could make your cushy little 
whatever you call this life here in Vietnam, whatever you're doing with your life, make it a lot more complicated. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, Greg Lamont, what's your reaction to uh, Oliver West getting in your face and, and explaining uh, security you know, classifications and your legal requirements to not divulge this information? Uh, I think Greg is his mind with the with his status his shaken status that he he's just I I think his mind is on other stuff right now and he just says yes to because he doesn't know or or you know just to get the guy out of his face. Okay, Lynn. Uh, Lynn is stoic. Uh, he makes any illusions. Um, she'll, you know, talk about the the mystic tiger spirits and hawk spirits and <laughs> kind of a wink and a nod. And uh, initially, Oliver West was not buying um, that, but and it, she's it, she's kind of playing off like, oh yeah, stupid Vietnamese with their you know tribal religions. Right. But um, eventually, your buddy, let me go back here and find his name. Sergeant High, I believe. Yeah, uh, Khan High. Yeah, I actually had it. Yep, Khan High. Um, you see him kind of intervene, and after he talks to West, West seems to, number one, regard you as a little higher degree of, of deference and number two he he lays off you at that point so whatever whatever the sergeant passed on apparently uh, ameliorated his concern and then that leaves willie how does willie react when oliver west comes and it with and with willie it's a little different it's more like hey uh you know i'm required to do this you know i'm you sure you've had to do this before but you know stuff you think you saw up there you can't tell anybody can't even be bullshitting with the guys back in the embassy having drinks. You just, you know. What, what rank is West? Uh, he is an operations officer. So in, in my mind, he's at least, if we asked HR back in Langley, <laughs> they'd uh -huh. say that Willie Kane and uh, Oliver West have the quote unquote same rank. I just um, wanted to address him properly as you know. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. He he's he's an operations officer. Okay. Now you do know from experience that oftentimes what really determines someone's clout is either who they answer to or like what what tasking they've been given. Um, so if they've been put in charge of a particular project and it's a, you know, high priority, impressive project, you know, the, effectively they are now acting at the behest of the director. Got so yeah. you, you don't mess with them. So here it's kind of unclear whose behest he's acting at at this point. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he's, uh, he's basically a peer. So in fact, yeah, he, calls you, he calls you Billy. Um, 
so wow. yeah, as, as West uh, approaches, um, you know, I'm I'm shaken and uh, you know, I haven't been sleeping and and uh, I kind of take a nervous step back <laughs> from him, and uh, you know, he lays out his his needs as far as it relates to secrets. You know, like West, as, as far as I'm concerned, no one no one needs to know about this. It does no does no one any good to know about this. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you see it that way. Uh, it. I mean, it is Billy, right? Pain is fine. Thank you. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, don't take this the wrong way, but I kind of tried to warn you when we first encountered each other. You know, you're out here in the shit now. It's not. It's not interviewing. You know your little minions and your little stitches in cafes and, you know, casinos and hotels. This is, this is where the war's fought out here. So it's bad stuff happens. I'm sorry. Sorry. This happened in front of you and uh, you really need to pull your shit together, but you know, maybe next time you'll just realize, you know, the stuff you do is really important. I mean, some of the information you got me in the past has been really helpful. So you know, just you do your job, I do my job, and that's probably gonna work out best for everybody. Yeah, good, 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 good wake up call. That's that's for sure. <laughs> uh, so uh, you guys get you know brought back to Saigon. Um, let's just see what else I have to cover here. I'm sure I didn't miss anything. Probably the only other thing that you guys got out of the camp was that the you know, special forces officers there, the Vietnamese officers, were all kind of on edge. Obviously, the whole thing was a bad situation, but the weather thing in particular, they didn't have any warning that the weather was coming. You know, it wasn't in any of the reports coming out of Saigon as far as, you know, this is your weather for the next 72 hours, anything like that. Um, and even while it was going on, they didn't get a very good explanation as to like why this happened or why it stopped. It just was, you know, borderline monsoon typhoon weather for four days and then it was gone. So, um, and you get back to Saigon, obviously you uh, debrief with Delta Green. So, and obviously, I assume y'all convey to Delta Green everything that happened. We'll start there. Is that is that a correct statement? Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> we all do the Spider-Man. Right. Just yeah. a reminder, lying to Delta Green is a uh, good way to get dead. Disappear. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I, I wasn't really expecting you all to go sideways on me, uh, but I, I felt like I should ask. Um, now, the questions uh, I think that are going to be interesting for y'all are, what are you going to say or share with your day jobs about what's been going on? And uh, now that, that ties with us, here's the other dilemma that Willie and, and Greg Lamont find themselves in. So I'm going to talk about the rules as written for a moment and then mm -hmm. kind of where I see things. 
So rules is written <clears throat> typically stability is a resource that gets burned up over an operation and mm -hmm. it it doesn't automatically refresh the way other pools refresh. Um, for campaign play, the way stability oftentimes gets restored is you go out and you spend time with your bonds. You, you go back to your, your real life, the real world, the mundane world, your mundane life. And those things kind of help you recharge, which is why, you know, burning your bonds to pass stability tests is in the long run a bad thing because basically you don't have those things to go back to. Um, you, you're, you're, you're alienated, you know, you no longer talk to your wife until you say yes to the divorce, blah, 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 kind of, um, you know, stuff. Um, we haven't done a lot of stuff with bonds and we don't necessarily expect these characters to carry over from adventure to adventure. Uh, so I don't want to be in a situation where you guys are basically gimped for the rest of the adventure because you're permanently in shaken status. Uh, there's some stuff in the rules about like psychological triage. Uh, so the way I'm going to play it for this adventure is basically once you guys report back to Delta Green, your handler can figure out that Willie and Greg like need some help. So, um, you know, they arrange for you guys to like see a, I'm going to say a psychiatrist who is uh, red into Delta Green. So okay. understands actually what's going on to try to kind of help you guys. Um, and, and kind of the end of this is you're going to end up moving out of shaken status back to a positive status. I haven't decided exactly where I'm going to put you. Um, and I, I will tell you this, you're definitely not going back to full stability. So sure. stability is definitely going to be a problem for your two characters for the rest of the game. Again, this is kind of a kind of a mythos game, and so you know, I'm sure Ty's familiar with the idea that I'm just as likely to drive you insane as I am to kill you. So uh, that's that's part of why we play these games, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so I do think that one of the things, and I kind of put this in the Google Doc, uh, is that you know the psychiatrist works with you, but he also understands the importance of um, you need to do some mundane things. You need to find, you know, you, like you need a break. And so Delta Green kind of tells the team, okay, here's the deal. We're going to process this information. We're going to try to decide the next course of action. You know, we need Willie and uh, Greg to kind of get their shit together. You know, Jack and Lynn, you need to be, you know, doing your day jobs and we'll figure out the next direction to take this. You know, the Delta Green clearly appreciative. They're clearly concerned about what they heard, particularly um, the encounter with the flying shadow snake. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, you get the sense that, um, you know, Delta Green's gonna follow that. Um, that may be another Delta Green team's responsibility to, to kind of, you know, they're not going to send you back to Anjiang to, to chase that down. So, yeah, um, and me. <laughs> uh, and I think that's kind of where 
I feel like that's all the stuff I had in my little interlude document. So, so in my mind, it's April 17th, and y'all can start kind of getting back into the groove, doing some role-playing, and uh, I'll start throwing some stuff at you. So, and, and feel free to kind of add some stuff to that interlude, you know, and flash back to things that happened to kind of flesh the story out. Because um, I've talked a bunch, so I want y'all to talk for a little bit. Okay. So let's see. Yeah, I think Greg was spending a lot of time writing letters. Okay. That's how he, that's how he, uh, he kind of fell inward for a little bit after this being shaken like this. <clears throat> he was writing yeah. a lot of letters to his ex-wife. Uh-oh. Yeah, he has no idea. He's just using the last address. He doesn't, he doesn't even, I don't think he really knows where she lives now. But and all his letters, he's telling her what's happened over the last few years since they've talked last. And then, but all the, but while he's uh, writing this stuff, he goes, he goes off on these tangents about the, the book that he found, that philosophy of natural magic. Just keeps little pieces of that keep finding its way into the, into the letters and he didn't even he didn't even like memorize that stuff but it just kind of stuck with him and it's coming out of his pen nice excellent um and and willie i'm gonna throw something at you uh mm-hmm. and i'll go to someone else so you can think a little bit about this uh the one thing willie has noticed um is pretty frequently when you sleep if you remember your dream, uh, some portion of your dream involved uh, that mountain that you looked at and, and gave you the chill in, uh, when you were visiting the, the pagoda out in Anjiang. You know, it's, it's, it's the eighth just, mountain. Yeah, the eighth mountain, yeah. Um, so think about how that's affecting you and, and you know, potentially we'll role play a little bit of that when I get back around to you. Uh, Jack Cooper, you know, you're, you're back. You've been sworn to secrecy. Uh, you're waiting kind of for Delta Green to kind of give you a next step. And what are you doing? Uh, I'm going to go consult uh, some some monks to to see if they know what's going on with this uh, shadow snake flying thingamajig. Okay. Um, and where are you going to go do that? Uh, I'm going to go to my home pagoda, which is... Do, do, do. Yeah, hold on. Uh, Jacklam Pagoda. Not Jacklam. Deal. Uh, and is is the is there a particular monk there that you think is the person that you would take this to, or? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd go straight to the the abbot, who's one of my bonds. He's a okay. pitch high tin. 
do you think we're going to see or hear from this character again? Probably not. Maybe I should be the, decide that. So, <laughs> uh, why don't you give me that name again? Spell it for me. Hitchhiken. It's it's under my bonds on the on my. Oh, perfect. Oh, if it's under your bonds, yeah, absolutely. That makes lots of sense. Okay. Um. And what what kind of role play the, the beginning of this conversation? You know, he obviously is happy to see you. And, Maybe even to tell that you seem troubled, so he you're so, lacking in harmony today, Jackson. Yes. I have been looking for someone and the path I was following brought me to some to see some strange things. Um there was the mystery a... of life is wondrous, Jackson. Yes, yes. Many it is. people would dream to see something strange, different from their everyday life. Ah, uh, but this was terrifying. And it was a flying smoke snake. Maybe a, a demon of some sort, and it was flying and 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 killing people. So I have to go above table for a second because I really have no meaningful understanding of of Buddhist teaching. So uh, would things like demons be a you know a accepted and understood? aspect of the of the buddhist literature the buddhist history not really um yeah. in buddhism but but yes in vietnamese culture and okay. animism right like folk culture I mean, kind of thing or... yeah it's, it's all sort of tied into to animism um okay but but buddhism doesn't necessarily um prevent you from also practicing other religions. It's more of a <laughs> lifestyle. Really comfortable shoes. That's the key, right? Oh, um, so, uh, so his first reaction is like he leans in and looks carefully. Jackson, this is not your American sense of humor, is it? No. Um, well, those of us who are uh, here in the city, these types of tales are the types of tales that our parents or our grandparents who lived in villages and worked the land. These are the kinds of stories that, that they would tell. I would not expect someone from the United States of America to, to have this kind of thought. 
are you are you sure what you saw? I've heard my wife tell our children these stories as well, but but what I experienced was was far and above anything that that exists in those stories. It was well, it felt come... it felt wrong. It was as if as if it were destroying. Peace simply by existing. Where was this? In um, what's the what's the province name? Anjiang. In Anjiang province. <clears throat> Have you In... heard of any going ons there recently? Well, when you say Anjiang province, you can see a clear like shift in his demeanor and he looks a little perturbed and uh, so the uh, so the first thing he seems concerned about is Anjiang how is it that Jackson Cooper ended up in Anjiang province. I told you I have been tasked with finding a person and the trail. Why, why do I feel that what you found were our misguided brothers who call themselves a Ho Kwao? Oh, believe me, I found them as well. They at least can be reasoned with. Hmm. They at least can be reasoned with. I do not know that they truly follow the path of Buddha. I feel like they see the path of Buddha as the path to power. Charlatans, warlords, who knows what kind of evil or misdeeds they might be up to. Could they be responsible? For a flying smoke snake? I do not see how. But I suppose it is possible. There are, again, tales that are told. Not tales of the Buddha, obviously, but tales from our past as a people of of these things and stories of people who can summon these things to do their bidding. It wouldn't surprise me, given the Ho Hao's view on the use of violence and terror to achieve their vision. They might stoop to something like this. Although again, and dear, dear Jackson, you know how much I value you value as a member of this pagoda. I still want you to consider the possibility that 
in whatever situation you found yourself in, that somehow your, your mind was led astray from the path of harmony and the path of peace. And it was your doubts and fears that conjured and created the belief in this flying shadow snake. Consider that possibility. Let me, let me spend time with you and we shall meditate and see if we can't help you achieve harmony and clear this from your mind. If that fails, then I will see if I can find someone else for you to, to talk to who might know more of these things. Let's cut to Lynn's song. Lynn, you're, you're back in town. And uh, Delta Green's got, got a little downtime for you while they try to get Willie and uh, Greg kind of fixed up. And, and figure out exactly how they want you to proceed at this point in time. So what's Lynn doing? Um, I think at the CIO, it's not a huge deal if he goes a few days without checking in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I check in with the station chief <clears throat> and just kind of give him a download of um, the monastery and um, yeah, there is the kind of suspicious monk or colonel, depending on how you wanted to look at it, kind of keeping an eye on me and just kind of give a report about the actual facts, um, the weather, things like that. Um, and maybe she gets kind of an early release after she reports in. Uh, and she would also like to go speak to a bond. She would like to speak to her grandmother, Ooh. Yen Pham, her maternal grandmother. Can I be mean and? Uh, oh yeah, please. Cut to another scene because I want to think a little bit about that. Um, sure. Wait, let me ask you this, just so I can mull on it. Um, what are you hoping to achieve in going to see your grandmother? Um, maybe some insight into this, um, because she is kind of a practitioner in the, in the mat- mm-hmm. uh, matriarchal line. Um, if if there's any you know rumors or tales about this this being, um, and maybe demon is is more applicable on the animism side. Uh, and don't forget uh, getting set up with a with a husband. <laughs> right. Nice. Excellent. That's 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 her mom's worry, not her grandmother's. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, in 1961, that was the cross that yeah. Jesse's character had to carry. That'll be your cross in this one. So, um, okay, let's cut to Willie Kane. Uh, yeah, Willie, you're you're having these dreams. Some of them are nightmarish. Some of them aren't, but they. Frickin' mountain is in them every time. Mm-hmm. How's that working for you? Yeah, I mean the the dreams plus uh, what I experienced out in the jungle, and once we returned back to camp with the rest of the special forces. Yeah, I mean it's left left me shaken, uh, and <laughs> mechanically, and uh, but also you know in kind of a metaphysical way. Um, 
So he his initial uh, thought is to reach out to Lucas, mm-hmm. his buddy, who's the D- duty ops officer. You know, he's got the Delta Green background, right? Um, and you know, he he's Willie's trying to uh, kind of uh, balance the, the the line between you know divulging too much, but then also um kind of turning to somebody who has some experience in this area and i guess what i have in my head is is that while it's good to talk to lucas it's not kind of really turning anything around for for willie as far as his his mental health is concerned and and in fact it kind of emphasizes what a dire situation you know the world is in um, you know, if this if this type of thing can be true, then anything can be true. Mm-hmm. While the while we men fight these battles here in uh, in the jungles, you know, the bigger battles are going on beyond our understanding. That kind of thing. Right. So if if he's looking for a bit of normalcy in his life, uh, he's going to reach out to Sophia, his ex girlfriend. Okay. Um. Not sure. I want to necessarily role play Sophia, so we'll, we'll, we'll see where this goes. Um, you know, I don't feel like I'm appropriately dressed to be a Sophia. Number one. Um, yeah. And, and so, how, in your mind, how's that conversation going to go? Yeah, you know, maybe you know Sophia, who who tends to be based and and works elsewhere. She actually does have some some assignments in Vietnam from, from time to time, and. Willie is able to track her down and, and, you know, Sophia, I've got to talk to you. There's something weighing on my mind. I, 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 I need to talk to you. And she's like, well, you know, Willie, what is this? Is this another one of your come ons? I, I, I told you we're done. We're, we're three. No, Sophia, it's not about that. It's not that at all. It's, it's, uh, I, I, you know, you understand me more than anybody though, but I've, I've gone through some terrible things. And so she reluctantly agrees to see him. They're they're on good terms, but you know, as as I just suggested, he's he's kind of always scheming to maybe get back together. Um, and she maybe she still has a soft spot for him somewhere, sure, deep deep mm-hmm. down in her heart. Right. Um, and they're and like I said, they're on good terms. Um, Let me look something up super quick. Um, so it, she is going to meet with you. She can't do it right now because of her actual, you know, job and things that she has to do. But she is said that she will meet you for dinner at. I'm going to. I want to say where's our. I can't find the Google Doc all of a sudden. No, no, no. And why you're looking at that? I mean, that, that's kind of what I was getting at. Where. He turned to Lucas, and that just kind of reemphasized, reinforced the things that he's gone through. You know, like uh, if I could, right. maybe I could talk to him; he'll understand. And then maybe from the the stability standpoint, the mechanics, it's like, yeah, he needs a return to he needs something normal, right? And just a dinner out or a date or just time together with a someone who's removed from that world of what he's just experienced. Failing to get my, so I'm just going to reopen it. That's what you do, right? Um, Jason, do you have to remember the name of the hotel 
on the matchbook that y'all found in the apartment with the recording device? Mm. Uh, I, I think it was the Majestic. But I, that sounds from yeah, that sounds right. Not a hundred percent sure it was the Majestic. So yeah, oh, matchbook for the old Majestic. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay, so she. Tells you that she is going, uh, that she'll meet you for dinner at the Hotel Majestic. So, uh, oh, thank so you, Sophia. Jump. Yeah, and, and but you got some work to do before then, Willie. So the, I mean, Delta Green is standing down to to you get back in shape, but the CIA doesn't fully understand your condition, and you know how hard could your job be? I mean, you you work. Uh, sources you know recruit people i mean that's just talking to people you know whatever so the fact that you vomit halfway through the conversation whatever you know so um uh so i'll get back to you in a second i want to go to greg other than writing letters like uh what's going on with your day job yeah he, he goes back to um what he's you know ostensibly here for to monitor the north vietnamese naval traffic right. um but he's very distracted while he's there. I mean, he's trying to, you know, go in and uh, run this team that he's responsible for. But um, he has, he's having a hard time staying on, staying focused and staying on task. Uh, the memories of that shadow snake just keep popping up in that, uh, like, lines from that philosophy of natural man just seem right. to run through his head. Uh, so your commanding officer calls you in. If you, if you remember, he's the guy that's kind of like manic depressive um, mm -hmm. uh, and probably not the best officer in the Navy. Um, not the worst, but certainly not the best officer in the Navy. But uh, he, he calls you in um, and he seems very uncomfortable. Uh, but he's like, uh, Lamont, uh, yes, you know, go ahead and get a seat. Uh, so, um, so how are you, how are you, how are you doing? Uh, I'm okay, sir. Um, just trying to keep up on things here. Um, I was out for well, a bit. Uh, yes, I, I know. Um, and uh, I, I get the sense that, that things were um, were rough out there, and uh, and he's clearly forgotten the name of the place you went um, out when the place you went out there. It uh, I just get the sense it was very rough. Uh, it, it, it was, sir. I mean, we ran into insurgent activity. Is that something I would bring up, or the, is yeah, that was yeah. that part was that was that part that yeah. part wasn't classified? That right? part's not classified. It's okay, just yeah. The stuff that West did, the stuff you saw in the yeah. jungle, that's the stuff you've been sworn to secrecy on. So I said, yeah, we it was some insurgent activity, and we got pretty close. I'm not gonna lie, first time I've been that close to uh, uh, action of that type. So yeah. Um. Well, uh, yes, uh, I'm sure it must have been terrifying. So it seems that, 
trying to be indelicate here. Um, well, your chief petty officer had some concerns that that maybe you're not fully focused on the monitoring work that we are are doing here. And I understand that oftentimes it's it's, it's quite boring. Uh, so I was going to uh, suggest maybe a change of pace. Uh, and I uh, hope I'm not being too forward. I just, I'm, you're my responsibility, and I would just like to um, kill two birds with a stone. And he has kind of a nervous laugh, and then he, you get the sense that he's like, maybe I shouldn't have used that particular expression. Uh, well, yes. Yeah, so, so anyway, to, to the point, yes, the point. Here's the point. Um, you may recall that uh, I discussed with you the South Vietnamese Marines that we are we are training. Yes, sir. Uh, yes. Well, they're um, going to be on an exercise, and um, while we have Marine advisors working with them, I need someone from my staff. Well, I guess in theory it could be me, but I'm quite busy at this time. Um, I, I was going to have you observe the exercise or get you out of the office. You'll get some fresh air. I think they're going to drive some of those uh, the things with the treads that the Marines ride in out of the water onto the beach. Those They're going to drive some of those on the beach. I'm sure it'll be sunny and wonderful. And and then you can write me a nice report on how they're doing so I can forward that to, to Washington. Okay, sir. Can do. Who'll be uh, who'll be taking over my spot in the meantime? Uh, we'll just have the your chief uh, monitor. I, I don't think it's going to be very long. I, I think the exercise is close at hand. So, and uh, they will uh, pick you up tomorrow. In and he clearly doesn't understand what time the operation works. Uh, the chief knows what time the operation starts. He'll he'll. Make sure you know where to be and and pay attention now. I, I don't want you to be looking at the girls on the beach. I want you to be watching those Marines <laughs> so we get a good report. Okay, this, yes, sir. This Miss Lamont. Sir. Uh, I'll get up and walk out. Uh, let's go back to Willie Kane. Mm -hmm. uh, Willie, you're at the embassy doing, you know, the typical things, garbage cans emptied, you know hallway swept, you know, all the maintenance kind of work that Willie does to make sure the embassy functions in an orderly fashion. Uh, when you, there's like an all hands on deck meeting called for the people in your particular organization. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you remember that uh, recently your uh, prior boss was exposed in the media and basically yeah. going to be sent back to Washington. So now you have an acting boss there. Um, say David Smith could be wrong on that. It's been a while since I looked that up. Um, but whoever your acting chief is, he uh, he calls you in and um, basically kind of tasks everyone that um, – there's increased pressure from Washington, increased in pressure from the ambassador for us to have the very best intelligence on what's going on uh, here in Saigon and what the relationship is between the military and uh, the army in particular and the DM regime. 
So I want you to be focused on your contacts, your resources, any information you can get. And you notice that Oliver West is actually at this meeting. And uh, you notice that the acting director kind of, he gets that whole message out. And he says, uh, one more thing. Uh, we just got the word from Langley that effectively immediately, uh, we are not providing any resources or particularly money to uh, the South Vietnamese Special Forces. That they are cut off persona non grata. So, uh, and you can already see the operations guys uh, in the room. Like they're just, to, you know, it's like the cartoon, you know, the steam whistles going off on their hair. Yeah. You know, I mean, and Ollie West just like stands up. What pencil pushing piece of shit made that decision? <laughs> and you know, the acting chief's like, West, look, those are the orders. They're cut off. So these are the only guys out here that are actually doing shit. They're the only ones who are committed to actually do anything other than mine their own pockets. They're actually the only ones who are willing to fight and do anything, and we're going to cut them off. Those are the orders. So, and let's not be bending those orders, okay? We're already in the shit with the ambassador. I'm sure this is the ambassador's fault, but uh, if we get caught bending this rule, I can tell you right now, you're freaking not going to be an ops officer in Southeast Asia anymore. You're going to be a freaking uh, duty officer in Anchorage, Alaska, or, uh, you know, whatever godforsaken other place on the earth that the CIA has to have a presence where there's nothing going on. So follow the rules. Those are the rules. Get out, find us information on what's going on, what's going on between the military and the DM regime, but freaking stay away from those special forces guys. And the meeting breaks up. Freaking, again, you know, lots of bitching with the operations guys, you know, like freaking, why'd we do all this work? And, you know, these guys are our, you know, these are our allies. And now we freaking, you know, we're not supposed to really talk to them or associate with them. So pretty, pretty angry moment at the uh, embassy. Uh, let's cut to Lynn. Where's your grandmother live? Um, I think she lives with my father and mother. It's a it's a nice building, um, and it's like a three bedroom apartment. Um, but for the, you know, for my parents, my grandmother, and my younger siblings, it's it's not spacious. Okay. Um, and yeah, how? How common is it for you to visit? Um, probably once a once every two weeks, once a fortnight. Okay. I'll go have dinner on a Saturday night. Okay. Uh, so would you say they're going to be surprised to see you? Yeah, it's probably off rhythm. Um, and um, yeah, I think 
I think my grandmother and I have a special bond. And we'll we'll usually if we have to have like a special meeting, um, if I have some heavier stuff to talk about, I'll, I'll typically try to schedule in advance and we'll go have tea somewhere and you know have a nice meal. But this is um, I, I don't I don't have time to schedule anything, so I'm just gonna kind of drop in and okay. And so it's probably the middle of the afternoon where usually I'd come around dinner time. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think it's probably a surprise to the household. Okay. Um, boom, 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 boom. So they are surprised, and you know your parents are there, and and you know to kind of play off what Jesse said earlier, is there some expectation that at some point in time, Lin Song's going to bring an appropriate uh, young gentleman home? <laughs> um, is there an understanding? Um, probably not. Is there an expectation? Definitely. Okay. Um, but that, yeah, that's a, you know, the, How the common a subject of discussion is that? Uh, every time I see my mother. Perfect. And the Vietnamese yeah. language is very, you know, very calm. They're, it's not, it doesn't all, always shout, sound like shouting. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, it, it definitely sounds like shouting when <laughs> when that conversation comes up. Okay. Uh, and how long is an appropriate amount of time to spend with your mother and father before you? I mean, are you going to ask this in front of your parents? Or are you going to try to have a private conversation mm -hmm. with your grandmother? Yeah. Um, so it's. Um, you know, I have to be harangued because I'm dropping in out of out of the blue, and you know, m mom hasn't had a chance to clean up or get snacks together or whatever. Um, so there's that, and there's apologizing for that. And then dad likes to ask how work is going, and then mom lays in about dating and how's you know how's the love life, and grandchildren. You know, Lynn's 25. She's she's getting up there. She's almost a, yeah. a spinster. Yep. Um, so it's probably an hour of just, you know, the babble as far as Lynn's concerned. Okay. But she she has to go through it, and and she would go through it. She's not gonna kind of try to shortcut that. And then, um, I think yeah. Once everything's calm, um, she'll try to speak to her grandmother, um, probably in her room, rather than. I, I think it would be more out of the blue if she had said, "Hey, let's go," you know, "let's go get ice cream or something." Right. Okay. So she'll speak to her in her little, um, you know, Spartan bedroom. All right. Um, okay, so how do you raise this conversation with her? Um, I guess while we're in the living room, it would be, you know, grandmother, I have um, some questions to ask about a conversation or about an experience I had. Um, I was just wondering if we could burn some incense and um, I could I could seek your guidance and your expertise. 
Well, of, of course, my granddaughter, anything I could do to make your life easier or give you understanding. I find it flattered when you ask my, flattering when you ask my opinion. And I think it's one of those things where she goes into her room um, and Lynn, you know, kind of deflects her mother and prepares some tea and is very deferential. Um, And again, we kind of touched on it, I think, in episode four, where in the public, Lynn is very uh, cold and very, um, you know, cutting um but at home and at work in the in the right circumstances she's very deferential and and so that's kind of what it is so she makes um tea for her grandmother and brings it in on a tray um she sets the tray down lights some incense um her grandmother's probably just yeah i'm I'm picturing kind of a small bedroom her grandmother's probably sitting on the bed uh, Lynn puts the tea on the nightstand, um, lights some incense, maybe on like a bookshelf. Um, and then she sits on the, f- or like kneels on the floor on a pillow, um, kind of at her grandmother's feet. Okay. So she's, she's, you can tell that she can tell that. Um, you're in a, you're tenser and clearly there's something weighing on your mind. So uh, she's looking very attentively at you, waiting for you to ask a question or make a statement. Yeah. Um, And I don't, for me, um, did Lynn experience the Eighth Mountain? She I know she was outside. I don't think she outside. saw. Yeah, okay. Yep. Okay. yep. I, I, I'm assuming that while y'all were besieged at the Special Forces camp, that, uh, that you know, Willie probably shared something about his observation. Is that a fair statement, Willie, that you would have, you know, told him about? that picture looking odd and having an odd reaction to it. Yeah. Yeah. They got to fill them in. Okay. Okay. So I'll ease into it with, um, with, with that as kind of the icebreaker, uh, really she wants to get to the, the, the flying shadow serpent. Um, but she'll kind of lead in with, um, you know, I, I was I was on assignment. I was traveling with these Americans. We visited a monastery, um, and she does the kind of you know uh, mucusless spit, just kind of um, in Anjong, and um, some of my compatriots uh, had a had a unsettling encounter with a painting and what they described as um an eighth an eighth mountain is mm-hmm. that is that something that sounds familiar in in your readings or in your experience 
uh, I'm not going to do justice to how eloquently your grandmother tells you this, but um, so she, in her kind of flowery and circuitous manner, um, goes on a monologue about um, about the fact that the world that you live in, if you take a moment to actually listen and, and pause and reflect, that the spirits of everything are around you and interact and move through the world. And that a artist who is open to the spirits and understands the spirits can actually create art that captures some small essence of the spirit. And, and wh whatever the nature of the spirit is now captured in, in the art. And therefore, it, it, it sounds like this friend of yours, although was this one of your American friends? Very disapproving when she says American <laughs> friends, by the way. Mm -hmm. So, uh, if your if your friend saw this art and he he was in the right state of mind when he saw it, then the spirit captured within the art would uh, reveal itself to him. Now, how how did he react to to this picture of this mountain? Um. And it, she she probably reverts to French um, okay. and says, because she can't quite like phrase it plainly enough in Vietnamese. Um, and so she says in French, it broke his mind. Mm. So the spirit of this mountain Is, is she's going to, I'm going to use the word evil again. She would convey it in a more nuanced, sure. and, uh, flowery way. But the spirit of that mountain must be evil. It must have been a good artist who, who captured that. But as I've tried to tell you before, Lynn, our in it's difficult in this city with its noise and its Americans and other foreigners. Sometimes it's hard to sense the spirits, but our country is suffused with spirits. Our rivers, our land, even our mountains all have their spirits. We must respect them. So every mountain has a spirit. If you can take your time to find it. I'm not sure which mountain he saw a picture of. So I'm familiar with the seven mountains in Anjiang, but I never, never really knew of them having a particular spirit or certainly not a spirit strong enough to be remarkable. And I think that was I, I, I think the, the weight was carried in, in the Unseen Eighth Mountain. Mm -hmm. oh. If you think that mountain has 
the answer, you may need to go to that mountain. But I unfortunately cannot tell you where that mountain is based on what you've told me so far. Many mountains in this country. Not that, that you've ever that seen them. <laughs> I think that Lynn's urban lifestyle. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And and the fact that, you know, Lynn went into the wilderness and did not commune with nature. She was busy smoking. Yeah. Um and Lynn, I think, shudders a little bit. And says, um, the the path uh, she, um, yeah the the path to the eighth mountain uh, might not be a path I want to take, and the spirits of the mountain lead me to another discussion, grandmother while we were in the wilds in the jungle on our way back. There was an entity in the jungle that attacked um, some of news forces uh, in a in a way that was um, inexplainable and uh, extremely violent. The uh, the Americans, of course, want to explain it away with with paperwork and and science and and not talking about it. But I know what I saw, and I know what I heard. And, and go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, and and it's not something um, in in the in the realm of the spirits we worship in in those that we would call upon uh is this is this you know an entity a being that that y- you might know about and and Lynn, of course will kind of describe everything she saw um as as little as she saw it um and it's just really trying to you know, she's at a loss um, as as good as she is with the violence and with a little bit of the unknown. Um, she's not. She wasn't prepared for what she, what she encountered. Uh, so uh, your grandmother is intrigued now. Uh, uh, troubled, but intrigued. And she turns and she goes to her she has a small chest in her room that uh when you were a a kid uh you actually every once in a while would get into that chest because there was you know pretty things to look at and interesting things she goes in and all kinds of right and rummers around she comes out with a scroll and she starts unrolling the scroll um until she gets to an image that looks pretty much like your flying shadow snake. And she points at it. This 
Yes, grandmother. And I'm assuming probably the the script is all in like, Chinese if it's old. Uh, and so yeah. Lynn, Lynn probably can't read that. Or right. Lynn can't read that if, if it is in Chinese. Right. Yes. Um, uh, your grandmother shudders, um, closes the scroll, and then immediately rummages around and um, gets some items. And she's going to uh, try to uncurse you. And she explains to you that that's a very bad thing. That is the black dragon. Very bad. Very evil spirit. You're right. Not a spirit of, of ours. But a spirit that preys upon people. You do not want anything to do with this spirit. And so she's doing her thing now. So she's decursing you. Yeah. Uh, Willie, is it uh, dinner time at the Majestic? Yes, I've been looking for this. I I need a break. Yeah. Um, so you arrive at the Majestic, and uh, Sophia's. I, I'm assuming she's staying at the Majestic, so she, you know, comes down from her room, and uh, you know, you see her, and I'm suspecting that you're you're going back to all the happy memories. Uh, Beautiful as always. And uh, she gets her kind of reproachful look. Willie, this is not going to end the way you hope it ends. I will Fine. have dinner. Rex, do I'll... a voice for me. Come on, man. <laughs> I can't. I'm I'll pay sorry. extra. <laughs> let, me, let me save that for... I'll, I'll uh... double my, my payment. Uh, <laughs> Sophie, it's not about that. Not about that at all. Thanks for thanks for uh, coming tonight. You look wonderful. Okay. Um, so uh, you know they take you to the dining room, and you know you're seated, and you know what are you what are you going to tell her? I just uh, Sophia, I just needed to see you. It's uh, it's been what it's been. How long has it been since we've we saw the creature? Probably you're looking at, I'm going to say roughly a week. Okay. It's been a, it's been a tough week. I just, I just got back. I've been burning in at both ends. I've, I've been out in the, the weeds and uh, I just, I don't know. I, I think I've come back a changed man. And I think seeing you would just would help, help me deal with all this. Really, one of the reasons that we never worked out was the fact that you wouldn't listen to me when I told you that the people you work for were going to change you, that they were going to ask you to do things and go to places that you knew were wrong. And you always poo-pooed me and told me, no, that you were doing what's best for America. You're doing what's best for the CIA, which is not necessarily best for America. So I, I'm reluctant to tell you I told you so, but I will note that I, in fact, told you this is how it's going to end. I'm, I'm glad that you have seen the light. And if you are telling me that you're resigning from the CIA, I will be filled with nothing but joy. We will 
order the finest champagne this hotel has to offer to celebrate your realization. That's Sophia. It's 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 no. It's not that. It's not. It's it's not going to go that way either. It's it's something bigger than us, bigger than all of us. And I, I don't know. I don't know what to do about it. I I want, but I I need to put that behind me for now. Can we just? Can we just? How was your day? <laughs> Let's and, talk about uh, something else. Go above table for a second. Um, yeah. Remind me, Sophia's the reporter. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, she's a journal, British journalist and ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, so, you know, when you went with the, it's bigger than us. You saw the like, the oh. click, <laughs> and and she's dropped back into reporter mode, uh, and so now she's she's kind of probing to. Uh, uh, to find out what this, like, could this be a story? Because, I mean, you know, she has fond memories of your relationship, and but she's also very sure about the fact that it was a, it's a done relationship. Uh-huh. And, and a story's a story. So, you know, so she's, she's trying to kind of work you to see what she can get. Is she going to get anything? About a story? Mm-hmm. Oh, they meant something else. Um, <laughs> uh, no. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely trying to to kind of, I'll say, change the subject, like put it behind me, put it aside for now, like get away from it, find uh, find solace in our time together. It's like, oh, Sophia, no, it's, it's, uh, I just... <clears throat> I don't want. I don't want to talk about it. I want to talk about. I want to talk about anything but it. And as you're, so this is not going exactly the way Willie hoped it was going to go. It's the first yeah. thing I'm gathering. Yeah. So the other thing is, as this is kind of dropping back into, you know. She's trying to get stuff out of you, and, 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 and you know when you initially rebuff her, then she tries to be coy and like kind of let the conversation wander, walk back. But again, as an experienced uh, you know handler and recruiter, you know you've done it. You've been on the other side of the equation over and over again, where you you bring people in conversation to the place you need them to be to to get the answer you want. So you know exactly what she's doing. So you're getting a little frustrated and you're, you're kind of as a defensive mechanism. You're kind of like just kind of looking around the restaurant from time to time because you want to break eye contact with her and, and you know, throw her off from what she's doing. And when you're doing that, you actually notice something. Is this what I'm going to say, roll for initiative? Yes. <laughs> it is not. Um, <laughs> You ref, you recognize, uh, well, you recognize several people. Uh, you recognize them. They're sitting at the same table, dining. The first person you recognize is uh, Lucien Conan, um, who you know is, is almost a legendary, uh, longtime serving uh, CIA officer who worked in Vietnam. He actually was... Uh, Worked with Ed Lansdale, uh, you know the famous 
guru of counterinsurgency who was famed for winning the Philippine counterinsurgency and had a brief period of time in, in Vietnam. Um, he's not uh, assigned to the Saigon station, but you know that he's back in country from time to time. Um, and he is having dinner with a Vietnamese general that you know to be. Let's find his name. Uh, uh -huh. Oh, sorry about that. Where did his name go? Uh, general Din, D-I-N-H. And they're like and a couple you, tables over. Yeah, they're they're far enough away that you're not going to be able to hear what they're saying without yeah. you know trying to do something. Um, but you didn't know that Conan was in country. You know, like he wasn't at the embassy earlier today when you guys were having that that briefing. And you know, Den is the commander of uh, Third Corps for the Arvin, which is the core that has responsibility for Saigon and the surrounding environs. Let's jump back to Lynn and, and Jack. I'm trying to do this in a particular chronological order. So unfortunately, I'm not sure what I'm going to get to Jackson Cooper next. So I, no I apologize. So, um, so Lynn, you know, your grandmother is warding you from curses and concerned that you encountered this thing? Do you hope or expect to get anything else out of her at this point in time? Um, I, you know, I, I, I thank her, thank her effusively for the, for the blessings and, um, you know, for, for the, the ritual she's bestowing upon me. Um, and I, Maybe we'll ask for a book or some guidance um, regarding the pathway to maybe the Eighth Mountain. You know, we, we kind of alluded to this spiritual thing that, that maybe there's, there's more there. Um, do you have more reading for me? Do you have some guidance for me to, to find this, this path? Mm. This dangerous, very dangerous path. I, I have nothing else, but I may know someone who could give you better guidance. Let me come back tomorrow and I'll see if I can, can find where they are and put you in touch with them. You're going to leave? Um, yeah, and I think, so I'll, you know, uh, get the dishes and uh, give all of the, the hugs and kisses I need. It's probably not hugs and kisses, but, you know, whatever it is with with my grandmother. And then as my mother starts to harangue me again, um, I beg off and, and say, no, I'm, mother, I must be running. I have a, I have a date tonight. I, I, must, I must be going. Brush out the door. Um, and as you rush out the door, when you get out to the street, there is a uh, low-level CIO, um, a 
I'm not going to say officer because that implies certain things, like a low-level CIO employee waiting for you with a quote-unquote company car and uh, says the boss needs to talk to you. Um, I will get in the back seat. Okay. Um, let's cut to Greg Lamont. The uh, chief actually tells you that um, the Marines were supposed to be doing a, like, you know, late afternoon landing exercise, and then they were mm -hmm. going to turn it into kind of like a night fighting thing. And that he's, uh, uh, they're sending a, uh, a driver over in a Jeep to pick you up to take you to uh, the exercise. Okay. So I get the, Sea bag together, <clears throat> get what I need for the be out in the bush, and then I'll get in the car when it arrives. Yep. So Jeep pulls up, uh, you know, crisply dressed, uh, sharp South Marines Marine jumps out, mm -hmm. throws you a salute, um, so back, and you know, stows your your bag and uh, starts driving you to the exercise. The thing you find interesting is he's not driving you to a, a, the place you would expect to go mm -hmm. for the Marines to load up in their Amtraks and you know drive out in the water and turn around and, and come in and assault the beach. Um, he actually kind of takes you into farther into town. I'll just keep, kind of look over at him a couple times. Hey, where yeah, are we going? Any questions? Yeah, they say, hey, are we supposed to go to the you know location? I towards the beach, right? That's where we'd load up, and then. But oh, uh, changing plans, new operation. New operation. I wasn't informed of this. Yes, no, yes. Very good. The commander will explain to you. <clears throat> okay. I guess that's uh, it. I'll, uh, so well, what, what kind of operations here? What, what kind of change do you make? Is this guy going to really tell me? Or? No, you, you're really not. The driver is, you know, and again, you get the sense that, like, you know, he's you know, been beat into him that, you know, your job is to pick important people up and drive them, and yeah. it's not your role in life to chat them up and this, that, and the other. Right. So, sure. um, okay. So uh, he actually takes you to a staging area that's in kind of actually a built-up area of Saigon, um, and the uh, you know, battalion commander is there. Um, he throws you a crisp salute when you arrive and uh you know see rear admiral not going to i can't remember what rank we gave your commander he's probably not a rear admiral he's probably oh, like a commodore captain or, or yeah something yeah is the commodore not joining us uh apparently not it's just me um what, what was the uh, change in plans here i wasn't I thought we were uh, heading out to. Yes, well, uh, General Din, uh, very, very 
good general asked us to, uh, he knows it's important to, uh, how do you say, uh, throw a ball curve? Hmm. To keep men alert. So, yes, he changed the drill at the last moment. Uh, we're going to practice if the communists were able to seize buildings in Saigon in a desperate attempt to undermine the validity and power of our regime, we're going to practice uh, urban assault. So that is the plan this evening. And you notice that they've got like M113 you know, personnel carriers lined up and you know they're all geared up to go and they're gonna apparently be charging around, you know, urban areas and running in buildings and doing all that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah, urban urban assault is not necessarily skill set. I guess you, I'll you're just, there, uh, you're there to watch. Just so. there to watch. Okay. Yep. Yep. Take notes. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Uh, let's cut back to Lynn. Um, Lynn, you're not going to CIO headquarters, at least yeah. the driver is not driving. Um, but you do recognize the building that you uh, arrive at. It is the headquarters of the South Vietnamese Special Forces. Uh, Lynn doesn't question the driver. She just lights a cigarette. Excellent. Uh, and you get uh, ushered in. Um, and she's probably at this point resigned. Like, you know, as part of her job, she could be disappeared as quickly as right. she, you know, the CIO disappears people. So, right. You know, she's been burned, or however they would phrase it. She's she's just going to kind of take her fate as it comes. Yeah, let me look at one thing real quick. Um, I just want to look one thing up real quick. Find one more name. Actually, they find two names, but I know where I'm looking. It's supposed to take me a moment. Yeah, perfect. Um, so you get taken to the office of the head of the South, excuse me, uh, South Vietnamese Special Forces. Let me tell you his name. You may have beat me to it if you're. Googling? No. All right. Uh, so this is Lee Kwong Tung. Um, and you're well aware of who he is. Uh, some people would take the position that he's the third most powerful person in the DM regime, that he is basically uh, news, trusted subordinate. Uh, yeah. He is, in fact, in command of the special forces, uh, and uh, you get 
you're getting ushered into his office as you're going in a South Vietnamese army captain who you don't know looks vaguely familiar, but you just can't place him. Um, is coming out of uh, Tung's office. Yeah. Good. Uh, you're going to try to interact right, with him? Um, she, uh, she'll make eyes at him. Do I have like a spend I could I could do? Let's see if you've got a spend you could do. Mm-hmm. Let's look. I don't know what it would be. Not that. Not that. Not that. I can like I I would spend a preparedness or is this like a bureaucracy? No, preparedness is usually like when you yeah to have something right yeah yeah not necessarily the no thing. I'm saying. Yeah. If you had military science, I probably would would let you spend that. But yeah, you, um, let's, here's what I'll give you. Um, I'll throw him like a, an honorific. Go back up here. Well, I'm going to say that the Arvin in 1963 is, uh, Americanized enough that there's like a name on his uniform. So, sure. so you know he's a captain. Uh, I'll tell you the name you get. Uh, Nong. N-H-U-N-G. Looks vaguely familiar to you, but you can't place it. Hmm. Um, yeah, and I guess if I'm being escorted in, um, to speak to Tong, I'll, yeah, I'll throw him like a, you know, senior male honorific and continue into Tong's office. So he kind of grunts a response and, but there's a moment where he turns and, and looks directly at you and you're looking directly at him. And the best way to describe uh, what you're drawn to is uh, he's got killer eyes. Not killer like Valley Girl, tubular, awesome. Like, oh, like cold, like cold, murderous killer eyes. Maybe that's also tubular to Lynn. Could be. Actually, it's a list. like <laughs> I I found him. I found game the one. Game. <laughs> Mom's gonna be so happy. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and uh, and then you're ushered in. Uh, you don't notice any like tarping on the floor. Right. So you know you, your concern about one direction is a little bit assuaged at this point. Um, and the the guy that escorts you in is. Um, back out, and there you are with the head 
with the South Vietnamese Special Forces, third most powerful man in wow. uh, Vietnam. And I would know he's uh, a member of the, the Ken Loa, right? Yes. Ken, Ken Lao. Yep. Yep. Um, so he, you know, gestures you to sit down and he offers you a cigarette, offers you a drink. Uh, I take the cigarette, not the drink. Um, Lynn's probably, it, it, it's not, maybe not evident, but she's like quaking. Um, um, and she'll address him, oh, Chief Tong. Uh, and he, how can I be uh, of assistance? So he uh, picks a file folder up from his desk and kind of holds it up quickly, and you recognize it as you know the standard office issue CIO folder and it looks like it's got some of your handwriting on it. So you're fairly certain this is a report that you have generated at some point in time. Ms. Song. I've had some heard very promising things about you and I've I've read your report of your most recent excursion very thorough and yet very discreet. This speaks highly of you. Thank you, Chief. That's part of my part of my work, finding the details that matter and uh, laying all else. We are in very troubling times, Ms. Song. She takes a big drag on her cigarette. Uh, and you, you could tell that you got bonus points for not taking the drink, although he has uh, his sure. drink. Yeah. Um, uh, but almost like that was maybe a small test. Uh, and uh, he expresses to you the fact that um, again, he's He's followed your work and particularly your recent work, and he is um, interested as to your thoughts on these Americans that you have been working with recently. I've seen nothing untoward. Uh, I I, I may question some of their ideologies, but there haven't been any um, actions that would make me uh, suspect that they have uh, any ties to the communist threat against our country. Ms. Song, communists may not be the only threat to our country and the work we're doing here. This most recent uh, excursion to Anjiang um, shed some light on, on that. 
Well, above and beyond that, the Americans until recently were quite generous with us. And, but they're here for their interests. I hope you're not so foolish to think that they are only here to help us. And she, she doesn't want to, but she laughs. <laughs> no, no, sir. I have, I have no illusions as to their, as to their um, ideology. Imperialists are imper- imperialists, sir. I, I, I understand their, their motivations. Do you have, uh, if I may be, so bold? Do you have reports from their? And maybe there's like a, you know, a swear word. Um, and and she grasps for like a generic um, rank term in 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 the in the in the swear word. Um, they're you know blank 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 uh, west. Do you have his reports on on what mm. we saw, what we encountered in the jungle? Uh, Mr. West. Mr. West has been a great friend of our regime and a great friend of my special forces. Uh, he is one of the few Americans that I consider trustworthy and one of the few Americans that I consider who is committed to see this through, whatever it might take. Other Americans I find less trustworthy. In fact, it's clear that they would be perfectly willing to abandon us and abandon this regime if they could find a more pleasing face to present to the world, a more, a regime that would meet the approval of the New York Times and the Washington Post. The Paris reporters. Um, And she, she struggles with with saying this, uh, she's like biting her lip as as she kind of ponders her cigarette and, and says, "Sir, if I may, what what leads you to trust this West? To me, Americans are Americans. He has demonstrated a zeal for our cause here." above and beyond that of most Americans. And unlike most uh, Americans, he's been willing to give things of real value, not, not their money, their equipment, all the arms and trucks and planes and implements of war that they give us. They're really just that's an excuse. It's a way for them to pay the war profiteers that run their country. It's really a lie for the American people that this is to help us. 
is to put money in the pockets of their arms manufacturers. We know why they do it. We'll take the weapons. We need them. We need them to stop the communists. We need them to stop those people who don't understand the threat of the communists. Mr. West and the other threats. Yes. All the enemies of our regime. Ms. Sang, you've done very good work for this regime. The question now is, are you willing to do more? More dangerous work? Work that may be less clear cut than the work you've done so far. Uh, she sits up straighter in her chair and says, yes, sir, of course. Anything for Vietnam. Anything. And it's... Um, she, she's probably enough of an interrogator where her hesitation doesn't come through. So she says anything for Vietnam and then just like a microsecond too late says and anything for the regime. Can't tell whether he caught it or not. He did. Yeah, he did. He's, he's probably. Yeah. But he does parrot back the word anything. Yes, sir. I may put that to the test, Ms. Zhang. These Americans that you find yourself working with now may be the key to opportunities. We are in very tumultuous times. The first task that I would ask you to explore. Um, my understanding is that at least one of these Americans regularly works at the embassy. I want you to see if you can develop a comfort level where you can gain access to the embassy. A simple task, a simple test. If you can do that, then we can discuss where that might lead. Uh, that shouldn't be a problem, sir. You do understand how much this regime respects and rewards loyalty, is saying? Yes, sir. I've seen my father's career blossom through his loyalty and his hard work. And I strive to do the same. If you do the things and accomplish the things I hope that you will accomplish for me, your career will blossom and grow and completely eclipse that which your father achieved. You could be instrumental in saving South Vietnam Yes, sir. We are the domino that must not fall. She would definitely not believe in the domino theory, but okay, nice. if it's you know corporate bullshit, she's gonna speak it. I'm ready to bullshit. right. I'm ready to fade to black. But if somebody has something they want to do, uh, 
particularly Jackson Cooper, since I left him on the sideline for a while. Um, yeah, I'm just I'll, I'm like per, perhaps I've I've hacked into your to your Scribus uh, account, but um, it's going to be amazing when Lin Sung and and Jackson Cooper show up at the same place to get more information about this shadow dragon. <laughs> this is in fact frightening. Uh, I mean, it's the only either, logical. Either you've hacked me, or in fact, you've been enough of my games to know how my <laughs> devious rat-like mind works. Um, so, it's so good. It's yeah. so good. But since we're above table, and since you've already said that, uh, I, I want you to be thinking about. Uh, and this will be a next session thing, but I want to be. I want you to think about the manner in which Lynn and Jackson Cooper arrive at the same location, both intending to speak to someone who knows more, and in fact, is the same person. So, because that that in fact was exactly where that's going. Um, so you've correctly predicted that. Uh, anybody else? Something they want to do? You know, uh, Willie, was there anything else you wanted to follow up with your observation of, of Lucien Conan and General Dien? Yeah. I mean, can you, um, not, not that I want to do so much, but just can you describe the general to me again? Like, how do I know him? What is his role? He is the commander of the... Uh, Vietnamese Third Corps. That corps is is centered on Saigon, so it provides military security for the city overall and the and the territory immediately surrounding the city. Um, so, um, uh, other than that, you don't. So, so he's a big player. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody knows him, basically. Um, and I guess the big question for you is, why is he having, you know, dinner with Lucien Koning, um, who is a CIA operative, but not currently assigned to the Saigon station? You know, you certainly had no knowledge that he was in country at this particular moment in time. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I might be interested in... Uh, if I if I were to observe their table, would I, would I see how far they are into dinner, how close they are to being done? Sure, they're they're probably about the same depth in that you're in. You get the sense that they're um, talking a lot more, and it's not just the two of them. There are yeah. some other Vietnamese army officers around. You don't recognize them. They're not generals. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're lower ranking officers. Your perception is they're probably all, uh, you know, Din's staff. Um, and, you know, Conan is the only Westerner uh, seated at the table. Uh, and they don't seem to be making as much progress eating because there's a lot more talking going on. Got it. Got it. I mean, for now, I'm enjoying my my meal with Sophia, and but in the back of my head, I'm uh, considering the idea of following Conan when when they break up. Okay. From dinner. Awesome. 
Um, Greg Lamont, anything else you want to do while you're watching South Vietnamese, Vietnamese Marines, you know, energetically run through, you know, these training exercises where they're, you know, storming buildings, laying suppressing fire, using, you know, practice grenades, kicking doors in, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I can't think of anything I should be should be doing right now. I think it's going to come. At least doing a good job with this because they've noticed he's been a little off. Yeah. All right. And then. Um, So then I think that's a good place for us to fade to black. Sure. Excellent. Very nice. Good. Good to get back to this. Yeah, no, I. uh, I'm I'm glad I don't have an early day tomorrow so I could kind of stay and let this. Uh, cook a little bit longer tonight mm-hmm. um, without feeling guilty about you know dragging ass tomorrow morning. Right. So. <laughs> right. Um. So, uh, anybody want to have any above table questions about like you're not sure what I was trying to get or you're not sure where this is going? Um, no, all good. I'm I don't have any. <laughs> I, I don't need. <laughs> It's like, we never know where this is going. <laughs> I, I'm not sure where it's going, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the fun. Yeah, so, uh, so, um, uh, so as I mentioned in Rocket, uh, you know, back in February, I had a pretty good sense of how this ended. And now as I was getting ready for this again, I had that moment of, oh, or mm-hmm. it could end this way. So, um, so tonight was very much about setting the table, um, and uh, getting the players and/or the characters grounded back in like how tense and volatile Saigon is in mid-October 1963, um, which. T- technically may have little to do with the unnatural or maybe more to do with the unnatural, but clearly tonight was not a lot about the unnatural. It was about the more mundane machinations going on. But I think in my mind, particularly for these uh, fall of Delta green games, I'm always going to interweave the big picture, what's going on with the unnatural. So that was my goal tonight was just to really give you all a sense of a reminder of like what's going on and what, what most people think the stakes are and mm-hmm. do to do to do. So, yeah, it's cool. There's no worries. Nice. Awesome. Uh, I believe that our next session is July 20th. Does that sound right? To that sounds about right. That's yeah. good. I got that. I got that. Yep. It's yep. And then I think we have one more after that I feel like yeah it was two scheduled for July right yep okay um <laughs> two sessions um you know are you guys going to be offended if I send you some August dates just in case nope okay okay alright I'll send some August dates just you know give myself a little more wiggle room um I do I anticipate I only can start whenever Right. Yeah. yeah. Hot Springs Island's not starting until this is definitely done, dusted, and 
put away. I may do a little prep work, but I'm not, I'm not even going to start telling people get excited about the game until, I, until this one's done and dusted. So, um, and say something else, I can't Jason, it's good to get back to it. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I suspect this, this is probably the case for most people when they run games. I think Ty had said this before, that, that when you have a long break from the game, there's like the inertia of getting back to the game, and then you actually start prepping for it and doing it, like, oh yeah, it's fun, I like this. It's fun. <laughs> uh, uh, and you guys... Like I said, I, I told Jason today that uh, when I listened back, you know, I love these games. You guys always find ways to surprise me. and, and But there are moments that happen in these games that I really like. So the, the uh, rice paddy scene, uh, you know, when, when Jesse's running off to stand in front of the machine gun and, you know, uh, Jason's on the side talking to the Special Forces Sergeant and, and Lamont and Willie Kane are tag teaming West. I mean, that was just, that was just gold. Like, listening back to them, like, that was such an awesome scene. So, it reminds me of the hotel lobby in 1961 when, <laughs> when somebody went out the window uh, and the whole, you know, Jesse, what are you doing? Well, I'm pulling off his pants. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you just say that. Right. Yeah. So, good times. That's what we play these games. Yes. All right, boys. Uh, let's make sure that I don't bungle saving this recording because I like this one mm-hmm. a lot better than the last one. And yeah, I think we'll be wrapped up. So, anybody have final comments for the good of the order while I get over to Discord? Nope. No. Good session, boys. Let's yeah. Another one, another one yeah. next month. Jason, you want to stay on for a moment and sure. uh, uh, make sure I get this. So, first thing I need to do is tell Craig to leave. Correct. Mm-hmm. Of course, I always mess that one up as well. Colon, Craig, colon, and there's no comma. Yeah, there's still a con- oh, so it's it'll be this. Mm-hmm. That's what you'll put in. Okay, like uh, let's see if I can without the mimic quotes. that. Yeah, without the quotes. Yeah, doing my uh, on my iPad, of course, it wants to autocorrect everything, which is making yeah. my life. Oh yeah, and if. But when I, for whatever reason, when I run on my desktop. I just end up getting a lot of this pixelated stuff. 